Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. A couple quick announcements before we get started with today's episode. If you've ever struggled with intonation or argued with friends and colleagues in quartet rehearsal about who is or isn't playing in tune, I think you'll enjoy next week's interview with cellist Mina Chung, where you'll hear Mina explain what the three types of intonation are and share some insights on how we can all play a little better in tune. That interview will be all new, but I'm taking a short writing break the next few weeks, so it seemed like this might be a good time to share a couple of my favorite articles from the archives that haven't been released in podcast format. Today's episode is about whether our audiences, and in particular our musician colleagues, notice as many of our mistakes as we think they do. I hope you find it as intriguing as I did. It can be pretty embarrassing to crack a note, miss a big shift, or experience shaky bow on stage, especially when this happens in front of our colleagues, whether they're sitting around as an orchestra or in the hall as members of an audience. Of course, trying to prevent mistakes by playing safe and careful doesn't make for a very compelling performance either. And ironically, it's not like this approach leads to more perfect performances anyway. So naturally, my teachers were always trying to get me to open up more and let the little things go, explaining that the reason for obsessing about the little details in lessons and in daily practice wasn't to ensure a flawless, but probably boring, no perfect performance, but simply to ensure that little imperfections in pitch, sound, rhythm, and so on don't distract the listener or take away from the beauty of the piece. So how distracting are these little glitches anyway? Are they really as obvious or as big a deal to the listener as they feel like they are to us in the moment? And do our musician friends and colleagues, who generally make us the most nervous, really notice as many of these mistakes as we think they do? Well, these are tricky questions, and while we may not be able to come to a completely definitive conclusion, there is an interesting Yale study that provides some surprising insights. Ten Yale piano majors were given one hour to learn and record four short pieces. Given the time constraints, their performances of these pieces obviously felt a wee bit short of perfection. There are, of course, a whole range of different types of imperfections that can exist in a performance, from sound to rhythm to intonation to many more subtle details, 
But one obvious category of errors is whether we play the right notes or not. In that regard, the collective recordings of the pianist's performance of Chopin's D-flat major prelude contained 380 total note errors, meaning the pianists either A, played a wrong note, B, left out a note, or C, played a note where there was none written in the score. Eight undergraduate piano majors, all of whom were familiar with the piece and two of whom had studied the piece, then listened to the recordings uninterrupted with blank, unmarked copies of the score. They were asked to circle any wrong, missing, or added notes that they heard in the recording, and that if they couldn't figure out quite what happened, circling a groups of notes was okay too. Before we review the results, take a moment to guess how many of the note errors the pianists were able to detect, or even better, what percentage of the note errors they noticed. Got the percentage in mind? Okay, so of the 380 errors total, the eight pianists, as a team, detected only 38% of the errors, or 143 to be exact. The highest individual score was 22% of the errors, and one pianist caught only 7% of the errors. And there was surprisingly little overlap amongst the pianists, too. Only six out of the 300 errors were noticed by all eight pianists, three errors by seven of the pianists, and five errors by six of the pianists. All this to say, an awful lot of basic note errors went totally unnoticed. Does the percentage surprise you a bit? The obvious limitation of the study is that given the sheer number of notes the pianists play and the polyphonic nature of the instrument, it makes sense that a listener would be less likely to recognize omitted or incorrect notes, especially if they occur in the inner voices. A different instrument's note errors, on the other hand, might stand out a little bit more clearly. And when we're talking about experienced musicians like our teachers and the performers we look up to, who've cultivated great ears and musical insights over many decades, and also know the repertoire we're playing inside and out, the results, of course, may be different. Especially if the definition of errors is expanded to include musical nuance and many of the higher order aspects of music that much of our work ultimately centers around. That said, we do tend to be way more sensitive to the imperfections in our playing than others are. At least, I could certainly remember a few times when something made me cringe and get all flustered in the moment, but when I listened back to the recording a few days later, I actually had difficulty finding that moment that seemed so catastrophic under my ear at the time. And generally speaking, our colleagues aren't sitting around with scores and red pens, but have notes of their own to play and get stressed out about. So it's not like they have tons of mental bandwidth free to keep score of our playing, even if they were inclined to do that sort of thing. In other words, maybe all that energy we devote to beating ourselves up and feeling embarrassed about mistakes and imperfections in a performance is largely wasted on stuff that not only goes largely unnoticed, but prevents us from paying more attention to the interesting music stuff that we do want an audience to hear, where ultimately, our little imperfections are not nearly as distracting to the audience as we might think, but more critically, distract us from the task at hand which is the actual barrier that hijacks our efforts to bring a little more beauty into our audience's world. You can find links to this week's study and other resources like practice hacks and the audition cheat sheet at bulletproofmusician.com blog. And if you found the episode helpful, please share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think might also enjoy experimenting with this during the coming week.